to Speak Your Mind, the podcast with Carla Peva. Today we will be speaking with a special guest, Alison Aka Ali Double. She will be sharing her story with us. Welcome, Ali. Tell us your story and how it started. Hey, Carla. I'd just like to thank you so much for inviting me to to share my story. I've been so inspired by your series. Um, my name is Ali Double, Alison Double, and uh, I'm, I live in Canada, in Vancouver. I'm originally from England, and uh, I emigrated here 10 years ago. Um, but you know, my story, as everyone's does, be- begins really when we were children. Um, as a child growing up in England, I, uh, I was an only child, and I think a lot of people perhaps have the perception that as an only child you are spoiled and treated like a princess and my story was very much different to that Um, my parents I was unwanted and unplanned or should I say unplanned and unwanted Um, my mum was in her mid-40s when she found out that she was pregnant with me and of course in those days living in a small village in England back in the 60s um, your options were very limited with what you could do and um, so they went ahead and had me and I think they actually spent the next um, few decades you know trying to figure out what on earth they were doing with this this child that had arrived in the middle of their life and put a handbrake on, on things you know they had no plans for having a child they were living in a one-bedroom bungalow or a rancher and you know, so it, it hugely impacted their life in my arrival. And I don't think, if we're honest, they ever kind of adjusted to that. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes, yes, it makes sense. Now, you know, what in that um, you know relationship with your parents that caused you to feel that you were unwanted? Um. Quite simply, it was emotional neglect, and which I think, um, and a lot of uh, discipline and other things, which could now be is, is termed as quite simply as abuse. Um, my father was extremely uh, verbally abusive, and the, the coercive power and the physical threat that was there. So, you know, I certainly grew up living in fear. Um, had to learn very quickly to people please to stay safe um, and also I'm, I'm really super sensitive part of that comes from you know as a child growing up I, I learned very quickly as a self-protection mechanism to listen for choice of words or an atmosphere or whatever was coming as a way of knowing to go to my room or go outside and play to get away from whatever um, Milestrom was coming down down the line down the line kind of thing. So, um, you know, from the outside, it, it kind of looked like a, a you know a normal family with a you know going about the regular business. But you know what what happened inside was just very very different. So, I became you know very introverted, withdrawn. Just that was just the way of self self protecting. And you know, and I grew up in the sixties, so there was very much that. Um, children must be seen and not heard I don't know if that's just a UK thing but you know you you weren't you didn't 
speak until you are spoken to, you weren't particularly allowed an opinion. So I very quickly realised that my safe space was my was my bedroom, was my sanctuary. And um, that's where I retreated to, you know, and I spent many happy hours there safely reading. I became a real bookworm and uh, you know, as I went through teenage life, my uh, bedroom walls were covered with posters and I used to spend hours, hours rearranging and reapplying and um, carefully blue tacking arranging the posters so it looked right you know and I had no idea at that point looking back that was going to show itself later on in in my life in my career Um, but I also think as well as the creative element there was that degree of that was a place that was the only place in my life that I had any control which was rearranging and choosing my posters and, and you know I guess, is it safe to say that that was the place that you felt accepted? Yeah. Um, You felt uh, love? Yes, yeah. There was no no threat there. um, And I could, I didn't understand it as creativity, but, you know, it it certainly was. And I had the choice of what posters I put up there. And, you know, I was left to that. So that was probably the only element in my life that I had some control over and creative, um, you know, ability with, or not ability. Did, uh, yeah, did your mother ever try to intervene or interfere that creative space of yours? Um, It was very much, I think my parents were busy doing their own thing. And so, in, in a sense, they let me get on with it as such, like I was always drawing and sketching. Um, but I know at one point when I was, I was nine years old and I spent the entire summer writing a book, which I know, you know, probably as a nine-year-old, it wasn't terribly good. But I got to the end of the summer and I proudly shared it with my mom, you know, like, hey, mom, I've written a book. And she opened it, it was a, an exercise book, and she opened the first page and immediately shut it. Like she didn't even read it. She opened the first page, shut it, and pushed it back across the table to me and said, who are you to write a book? And, you know, in, in, in that moment, my nine-year-old heart crumpled because I desperately, I wanted to be an author. I loved the Enid Blyton books and the Nancy Drew mysteries. And I really, I wanted to be a, a writer. You know, the, the, one of the illustrators for Enid Blyton lived in our village. And I was quietly in awe of this lady who not only was an artist but had such connections to an author and um you know so that was that was really and and how did those words that your mom stated towards you and your creativity make you feel uh well it pretty much shut up my creativity for i would honestly say the next 40 years Uh, well 35 years for sure Um, you know I I took that as being well what I create isn't good enough you know I was always sketching but I was always kind of copying from something else like uh, copywriting but with sketching you know and you know well haven't you got your own creativity and so whatever I did around creativity was met with a negative negative vibe and you know I do understand now looking back you know my parents were busy they were trying to keep their you know the house going in the garden and they you know, look after their parents and work so I do understand looking back they were busy but we also had no artists or creatives in our family and so I think it was very much seen as either a waste of time or not having value and 
you know I, I think anything that they saw as a creative was just not in the realm of possibility for me you know it was never oh you could be an artist one day or you could be a writer it was always um, very much shut down was that creativity and so I, I continued I took that message and ran with it for the next I don't know 30 odd years you know people would say to me are you creative and I would always say no my friend Susan's creative no my friend Julia's creative um, you know I would happily push friends forward that were creative but deny my creativity do you do you think that um, what your mother said it was kind of like a reflection of certain things that she felt she couldn't do and then she figured you know what um, why do you think you could do it or you know you think you're creative but like it doesn't run in a family or when she said who you think you are it kind of comes across as like you know um, I don't do that or I don't have that creativity myself so why would you have that kind of thing yeah well for sure and I think I only appreciated quite a bit of this uh, you know in, in much later life reflecting my mom passed away when I was 30 and it was only probably when I was in my late 30s that I began to understand my mom and I, and I definitely saw as you say those parallels that I thought actually she loved writing she loved singing she loved gardening she was creative but I think her marriage didn't allow that she was very much under my father's control as I was and so you know creativity often needs space and the right circumstances and a happy heart to flourish sometimes for some people and so I would definitely agree that I think she shut that shut any hopes of that down and then that in turn was kind of the message that I received too in a you know being inadvertently I think she was probably trying to protect me as well because she knew that my father didn't have the um I don't know the will if you like or the acceptance of such things and so she was probably trying to protect me you know from having these lofty ideas that would just get me in trouble with him quite honestly so you know I think it was mm -hmm. a way of her protecting me as well too so yeah yeah I mean it could be um a way of protecting you um I mean we can look at it in so many different angles yeah um because of the fact like you mentioned she did have interest towards that however since her uh, relationship took that away from her uh, the fact that you know her own daughter also had the same niche the same interest it kind of um, touches towards something that to her it's like okay well I was not able to do it so all of a sudden it's like why do you think you're able to do it so it does kind of reflect towards how she feels about her situation and herself yeah for sure for sure you know I think sometimes when we get into relationships that, that you know our partner doesn't entirely support all of our personality that that happens right we we kind of shut shut certain areas off because it's it's a, a way of staying safe or avoiding arguments or I don't know whatever that looks like and so I think that's something that she'd done too and then you know in turn I, I learned those lessons and so 
you know, I married quite quite young, and I think looking back now, that was part of a way of escaping, um, you know, home life. And of course, you know, as is quite often classic psychology, you jump from the frying pan into the fire, and so I hopped straight into a marriage that was less than supportive of my personality, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it was so. When you when you uh, got married, obviously you went through your um, high school years first. Yeah. How was that journey going to school, trying to uh, uh, figure it out, your career, um, you know, before you actually had the ability to uh, jump into a marriage? Uh, it, it was okay. I mean, it, it was. We lived in a quiet village in England, and so it was a kind of a quiet life I guess and you know a lot of people didn't go to university and so uh, it was kind of you know leave school at 16 and find work and I did go to college and then um, found work and um, quickly began working for local government which I absolutely loved Um, so it it was fairly uneventful really Um, certainly I didn't have any um, designs or opportunities or thoughts of going to university or you know, the, the greater world beyond that. I mean, it was the 80s. And so, you know, the world is way more connected now and the opportunities are different. But um, it was just kind of a quiet little seaside life, I guess, you know. And so, yeah, you kind of fall from one thing into another. It's just kind of... how the uh, life journey is. Yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so after you, um, you went through your schooling and... Um, and you had the ability to actually engage into a, a marriage. How was that marriage relationship like? Um, it, it wasn't, it, you know, I'm divorced now. <laughs> I think that says it all. Uh, the best thing that did come out of that was I have two beautiful, I can't call them boys now, they're men. I have two wonderful sons and um, they're, they've been the best things in my life. They've given me so much joy and um, you know, it, it was time. I I stuck with the marriage for a long while trying to make it work. And, you know, I think the, the brutal truth is that sometimes two personalities just don't. They just don't. It's never going to work out. Um, you bring out the worst in each other. And I, I didn't want my boys to think that that was how a healthy relationship, the template for a healthy relationship. And so I made the decision to, uh, when my mum passed away, when I was 30, I realised then, well... You know, I have to make this decision to change my life. It's no good waiting for somebody to rescue me or for it all to be okay one day. Um, you know, it's up to me to start and make decisions to take control of my life, and so um, made the decision. And how did you, and how did you feel when your mother passed away? Um, a sadness, I think, because of we hadn't connected really as mother daughter. Uh, not in any deep sense I loved her very much but we didn't have a deep connection and so a sadness at that 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 had never really happened Um, and also an understanding I think of of the difficulty of the life that she'd had Uh, you know and you know moms are moms I think sometimes you know it's not the case for everyone but you know it's uh, 24 years later and I still miss her you know so but having said that I still carry a lot of her with me you know, in the sense of um, the love of gardening and art and song and writing and all those things.
Stay tuned. We will take a quick break and we will be right back. Hello, have you heard about Pam Sears, a psychic medium? Well, let me tell you. Pam has the ability to provide you some answers regarding her love, career, and financial. She also has a special gift that allows her to connect with someone special on the other side. So connect with Pam at 623-738-6715 or check out her website at pamsears.com. So now I wanted to um, talk about, you know, how did you leave UK and came to Canada? Where was the turn point where everything, um, you know, switched and and uh, and turned? Uh, well, after my divorce, I. I was lucky and found a, a wonderful man that uh, we started, you know, a, a relationship together. And uh, he had a, a family too, so we became kind of a a blended family with all those adjustments. And um, you know, life was really nice. It was it was great again. Um, I think it was just we were both approaching middle age and really realised there's a big old world out there. And uh, we came skiing to Canada and um, just absolutely fell in love with with Canada and so I think we were just ready for some new adventures we didn't really mind where it was and so we applied for our um, applied to emigrate for our visas and it took uh, four years to uh, to to get all the paperwork in order so that's quite a quite a challenge and um, yeah, we were just ready for a new adventure for, for all of us, you know, for my husband and, and my boys too. And so, yeah, we all immigrated 10 years ago, five fa- phases of uh, immigration. And so, you know, initially it took us so long to get here that we'd done a lot of research and preparation and we'd come out to Canada a few times and visited. So we thought we were pretty well prepared. And um, so when you first come out, there's kind of the honeymoon period where everything's great it's, it feels like an extended holiday really and um, you know my son quickly got established in school he got settled here and he found a, a little part-time job which he loved and my husband had a had a great job and I had nothing so I literally I had a great job which I absolutely loved in England it was um, a community horticulture marketing coordinator's job so it was people plants and flowers and community and it was just the best thing ever and I basically traded that for a a plane ticket and so I was here six months without work and no matter what I tried I couldn't seem to find you know because it was such a unique job I kept hearing well we haven't got a job like that here and I just struggled so hard to find to find work you know I even was trying to find work in in coffee shops as a barista and well no you're too qualified for that 
So I was kind of in this halfway house of too qualified for for some jobs, but then I didn't have Canadian experience, so they couldn't understand because the job I had was dealing with the press. It was also administration, so it was a kind of a blend or a meld of so many different jobs that they couldn't quantify well we have nothing like that here and so actually what happened was I went into a a really deep depression Um, it it was not it was not good I I just felt rejected by the country that I'd chosen which is I I know now is one of those um, one of those phases that I talk about uh, where you feel rejected when things you know, the honeymoon period's passed and things don't kind of work out how you plan. And so I really struggled um, to find my place. And I, I think that is not uncommon for a lot, I hear this, from a lot of other families who've emigrated, that quite often the mom is the last one to find work or to settle. Um, you know, I don't know how true that is from a statistics point of view. Um, but it, it's it's challenging, you know, and I think part of it was also that I didn't realize how much of my identity and validation was wrapped up in my work you know I I loved my job it allowed me to be creative and you know I was good at it and so people would say oh you do a great job and you know quite honestly that's not something you often hear at home you know we we keep a family running and we keep the house running and it's not often apart from maybe Mother's Day or something that you you get that thank you and you're doing a great job and so I realized that losing the job where I had this creativity and the autonomy to choose what I did with my day I'd lost all that so I'd lost the structure and the parameters and the validation and the, being able to use these skills and problem solve and um, it threw me for a loop quite honestly it took some adjusting I really had no idea how much that impacted me Um, but also I think we thought we were well prepared to emigrate and we were we did a lot of research and we came out here on visits but the best way I can explain it is do you remember the Rubik's Cube you know the little square that had lots of tiles on it and you would it's as a cube right and then you you make one move and then all the pieces shift so the best way to describe what happens when for a lot of people when you emigrate is yeah that you emigrate as one whole unit so you emigrate as that cube or immigrate but then you all start to adjust at different times so for my husband he got a great job so he was happy so that was kind of like one one twist of the cube if you like but every time you twist it it affects the other faces so then like my husband my son would have a great week at school which was awesome so twist it again but so as their lives are starting to settle in and embed and good things happening if there's someone in the family that things aren't quite working out for you, you start to feel that like fragmentation and and so you know I think quite honestly it becomes a whole different challenge that you're maybe not prepared for it's just even keeping the family together you know because if you're all having a good time or all having a bad time it's easier to gel together but when you have this constant shifting it's um it's almost like standing on a paddleboard on a rough ocean you know you're just trying to keep everything in balance all the time and 
Um, you know, I, I wasn't prepared for that. I don't think any of us were. We haven't read that anywhere. I think we, we kind of had this long-term vision what it was going to look like without understanding the realities. I mean, obviously, the silly little things like, well, you haven't got your dentist to go to or, you know, what kind of laundry soap do we use now? Because I've used this for years and this always works. So there's all those little adjustments. Um, but I think we weren't prepared for the the big adjustments of, 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 of what that looked like. And um, so that's challenging, yeah. He was a teenager, so he was 14, 15. So he was kind of coming to that phase where they were trying to pull away from you a little bit. You know, they want their independence. And so you are trying to evolve and figure out because your mom role looks different now, you know? So there's a bit more capacity to find yourself. And so then that kind of was a problem. Well, not a problem, but I just, I was at that point of, well, what's, what do I do now? So I had a blank page, but it was almost too blank, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of like, not a problem, but challenging yeah. for you, because now it's like, okay, where do I fit in of, you know, kind of like, uh, where does Ellie get that satisfaction of being yes, happy yeah. working as doing data entry which was you know very much desk based eight hours a day with a long commute and that just killed my creative soul and a, a friend actually offered me a job and said come and be a landscaper with me because she could see that I was just kind of dying at the desk every way it just wasn't you know my, I was getting no creative outlet at all and I was still at this point in denial about my need for creativity and um, so I went and worked with her as a landscaper for a while. And you know, that was just wonderful being outdoors and being with the, with the plants and the flowers, which is, it is really a happy place. And um, I started to do you know, a lot of reading and research because I, I realized that I had this, this gap that I needed to fill. And I kept thinking, well, what's my life purpose? I must have a purpose. What, what can I do? And I kept reading and reading and, I just couldn't find the answer and so you know many books that I read suggested well finding your purpose is just do something that you're good at and I, I kind of drew a blank on that because I'd shelved my creativity for so long and I thought well what I was good at I've left in another country so I don't know I don't know I've got nothing that's how it felt I've got nothing and um, so it kind of felt like, I mean, that sounds very negative, but at that time it felt it. It mm -hmm. was just so quite. Yeah, I was just, I was just going to say that, um, you know, it may sound negative, but that's how it felt at the time. And uh, we're all human and we all have negative thoughts that incur in us. But those elements came together slowly and quite often in the places I wasn't looking for them. So one of the things that really changed things for me was, you know, I love reading and so I joined our local literacy um, network as a, a volunteer literacy tutor. I've never done any teaching in my life, like my qualification was purely as far as I like reading books. Mm -hmm. But actually, the, the lady that I did a lot of work with there as a, you know, as a participant, she impacted me greatly. She changed my life because we, 
we covered so much work for her. She went from being uh, at the gateway of hope, you know, recovering uh, recovering from addictions, to actually moving out into her own place. And that's part of that literacy tutoring that we did together got her there. And so she taught me in turn that I could be a teacher. So that was, you know, that was something incredible that came from where I was not expecting to find another step on the pathway. And then from there in between that, I'd actually, I realized that I needed to start, uh, the gardening was was wonderful, but it was also, I was getting older and realized that, um, you know, my back's probably not gonna hold out forever. And so I started to look at change of career. And um, I did one of the online quizzes I did many of the online quizzes and they kept saying your top five jobs and it kept coming back to this and it would say writer, artist, photographer, talk show host and organiser and I must have done this like 10 times on different um, platforms and I kept thinking I'd go down the list going writer I wish, artist I wish, photographer, well I take photos but I don't sell them. Um, what was the other one? Talk show host. I'd love to do that, but that's not going to happen. Organiser. Okay, I could do that. And so I ended up starting my organising business basically out of default. And at the time, I didn't really accept that. You know, I was, I can do this. And I, I did have a business for a couple of years. And I loved it, working with women and changing their lives. Again, there was that teaching element coming into that. And the creativity. Um, but you know the signs were there all the time I was still in that denial about where how important creativity is on my day-to-day life so so when when these platforms would show you these words and you know in your inner self when you read these words it's like kind of like food to your soul because Deep down, you know you are creative, but like you said, you're in denial to yeah. accept that. What actually happened was it felt like my heart, you know, like the Grinch. It felt like my heart shrunk a few sizes every time I read it because it was what I I wanted to do deep, 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 deep down. But I hadn't accepted it. I hadn't admitted it to myself. And so I thought, well, because I'm not, I love writing. If I write an email, it will be like 20 pages long. I love writing and I don't know when to stop. But because I hadn't actually published any work, I was thinking I can't do that. So I was doing a lot of photography, but because I wasn't actually selling any work, I thought, well, that's not valid. And so I kind of pulled back from all that because I felt almost as if, well, I'm not making money from it anywhere. It's not a side hustle. So therefore, because I'm, you know, I'm new at all this, it has no validity, which does not, you know that's absolutely not the case it's not right but that was the story that I was telling myself um, but then you know that all changed that all changed because you know all those little things that we I call it our heart list the things that we have in our heart that we want to do but we don't really tell anyone so that can be going to a paint night it can be learning to do stand-up paddle boarding it might be hiking mountains whatever that looks like for everyone everyone's got a different thing and one of the things on my heart list was to take up art again 
but I didn't know where to start and I, I wouldn't even go in the art store because I felt like it would set bells off saying, you know, woo woo, somebody here is not an artist. <laughs> I was so far in denial. Anyway, eventually a friend asked me to go to a paint night. Um, I, I did yeah. that twice because I didn't even feel I was good enough for a paint night. That's how much I convinced myself that I had no ability to do any of these creative things anymore. And then finally I did go to a paint night and that changed my life. A simple paint night changed my life. I, I went in there and I painted and I was pleased with what I created. And it honestly felt like I'd come out of the, the best yoga session ever. I was so relaxed. And it felt like the angels came out to sing. I mean, I it wasn't at that point I decided to be an artist, but I just knew from now on art was going to be in my life in some form or other. You know, it was just truly a moment of divine intervention, of understanding, okay, this is going to be my life now. I have no idea what it looks like, but art is going to be in my life now. And you know, I feel quite emotional just even remembering that, just how, you know, the simple things that we can try, it's not always the huge things. It was a simple paint night, a $30 paint night that just reconnected me with my creative heart and um, regularly. And then um, another year on, I applied to have my own uh, art, creative art show at our local uh, civic facility. And I had that and that was a huge learning curve. And from there, then I went and did a, uh, you know, like a, a fair day where you sell your work and chat to people. And none of that had been on my horizon. Uh, you know, and I'm still evolving my my kind of art career in that. But you know, the the thing from there is then it that's given me finally it took some finding, but it's given me my life purpose because within all that, you know, when I had my own business, I went to Toastmasters and learned to public speak. So the combination of the literacy tutoring and the public speaking, I now am part time educator, but also I balance that with with my art and book writing. I'm writing a book at the moment, and so I'll be doing my own artwork for that to put some of my pieces in there. And so life now is, it's, it's very, very different. It took a long while to pull all those strands together, but they all had their unique place in it. And I think I couldn't have planned it. And I think that was the thing when you, when I was reading all these books about your purpose, it all seemed so planned and I was panicking that I didn't have I didn't have the things that I needed to do, but it was only with trying different things in life. Um, you know, probably some things that you don't expect, <laughs> such as the literature thing. Yeah, I, I think um, the things and the tools were always there, but just because you kept pushing yourself away from it, it felt like it was not there. It was absent. But however, it was always there and it was always calling you since, you know, at the very young age, except it just took that moment where, you know, you were told that who yeah. you think you are and it, it basically shift everything. If that didn't happen, your present right now would have yes. been, uh, you know, your presence all your life. 
I'd like to be way more of an artist than I am. I need to put a lot more work in and all those kind of things. But I am an artist. I've got an artist's heart. It makes me happy. And now I embrace it. What's changed is my family wholeheartedly support that. They see me the same as an artist. And, you know, I think that does help when, when you, once you figure it out yourself, where you're, where you're, uh, where your happiness is, I think. I think that's the primary thing. It's not about, you know, making the money or whatever. I think it's finding what makes your heart happy. You know, you, you think about things differently. You know, you're much more open. Yeah, it's the same thing like when you're when we question to ourselves, what is my purpose? And the question leads again to what makes you yeah. happy? What kind of, you know, touches that little bird within you that awakens and feels like, wow, you know what? I feel yeah. like singing. I feel happy. And I think when I look back now, that some of the things that have been the, the things that have really impacted me, I'd never started those with the intention of them being being part of my purpose if that makes sense so for example like the teaching or the public speaking or the the art night i didn't actually go into those with any intentions of well this could be the thing that solves solves it and gives me my life purpose i in those times i was just having fun and trying new things and that's where how it's kind of magically wove the puzzle pieces of magically woven together when I stand and look back now, it, you know, with the best will in the world, I think a lot of the things that I tried with the intention of making it work just didn't work out. And I think it's because I was, you know, my path was planned in a different way. It was, um, I was probably trying to be less creative, less artistic. And actually that's the path that I need to take is that, um, you know, so now I'm changing my, business more towards in helping to coach other women that have gone through this similar thing of you know just need that help maybe they haven't written since they were nine years old maybe they haven't painted since they were nine years old maybe they have a story to tell but they just don't know how to tell it so between you know with my skills of writing and art and public speaking that's what I'm doing now is helping people find their voice and tell their story tapping into these different creative elements as a way to do it because you know their voices are probably there they've just done the same thing and denied it and hidden it for so long and as you say we just need those beautiful butterflies to come out and uh, brighten up the world everyone to share their stories yeah that's beautiful and um also do you find helping other women and uh and guiding them and allowing them to express themselves through art in some way somehow kind of like um, connects with you which makes me very emotional is i hear you know quite often people have been told in their younger formative years that they you know who are you to write a book you can't draw drawings waste of time you know why are you making dresses we can buy them or you know you can't knit you know quite often some of the messages that we receive or we perceive receive or perceive either way in in our younger life then we we take that as as, as something and we run with it for the rest of our lives and so you know i hear so many ladies say 
you know, oh, I haven't written for so long and I've always wanted to write a book. I keep hearing that, I've always wanted to write a book. I think so many people carry these things in their hearts that they want to share, but they've hidden them for so long that it becomes, I don't know how to start. You know, it feels like so far from where they are now to where they want to be that it feels too, too great a thing to acknowledge. You know, like, well, I want to get into art, but I haven't painted since I was 15. So I don't even know where to start anymore. So sometimes we just need those. We need somebody just to take our hands sometimes, right? And just say, I'll walk with you for a little while. I'll help help you start writing again. I'll help you start find a reason to start painting again. You know, sometimes people just need a little holding hand along the pathway a little while and um, to find their confidence and then off they go. Yeah. Yeah, plus I think um, which better person yeah. would be the one that actually yeah. walked that yeah, path, you that actually been there and done that, the limiting beliefs is that we tell the best. And why we tell them. And um, yeah, I think it's um, the main thing is to just keep looking for that path. You know, for some people, they're truly blessed and they know early on in their life, their life purpose. And I just think that is wonderful, absolutely wonderful. If you if you know that early on, that is just, oh, just makes my heart burst. That's fantastic. But, you know, that's not the case for, for everyone. And, you know, I think there are, there are a lot of women out there who have so much to give, got so much love to give, so much talent, um, you know, so much to bring to the world. They just haven't quite found the vehicle with which to do it yet. And so, you know, if, if I can help one or two more people you know, embrace that and, and put more yeah. butterflies out there and, and we can spread the love, well, the, the better. The more happy hearts we have, the better for all of us. Indeed it is. And um, do you find that uh, if you had this tools that you have right now um, in how you provide to others to express themselves, if you had them at the time that you were going through your own depression, she said, you know, part, part of your depression is due to the fact that you are a creative woman. And I, I just sat and cried. I absolutely wept because I knew she was right. In that moment, I knew she was right. But I didn't, once I'd admitted that, then I still had that, um, I didn't have anything to go to to be creative, That if that makes sense. So, you know, if I'd had um, some kind of connection where it would have been, okay, well, come and do this short writing course, or hey, come and paint with me, or you know, come, and, come and learn the basics of public speaking. You know, I, I think I would have found my feet probably quicker. Um, because sometimes, you know, we, we just need that little helping hand. We don't, we don't need to be we don't need it for six months or five years. Sometimes if we're creative, we are pretty good at finding our, once we get, get the, uh, the, the impetus to start, you know, the creative brain kicks in and away we go. But sometimes you just need that kind of the hand out of the water, you know, like getting out of the swimming pool. <laughs> sometimes you just need, you just need somebody to hold your hand for a little way to, to help you find your feet and then you're good. Yeah, that's and, right. Uh, so yeah, that would have been really cool. But uh, it's it's all good because it you know, but I got there in the end. <laughs> Fight its way out, uh, and that makes its wings stronger so that it can fly. You know that that the period I went through of depression was horrid and torrid. There was no two ways about it. 
but I think also it did force me to go and learn those skills of public speaking. It did force me, you know, being a, a literacy tutor, to learn things that I didn't didn't even think about for teaching. And it, um, you know, even I don't know internet things or you know when I was doing the business you know learning to do different things there was a lot in there that was challenging and there was a, there's a lot of work gone in there's been a lot of work over the years to get to where I am now but for that I am thankful because as you say you know without that that was all part of the journey I think I was hoping for an, an easier answer like a fairy godmother to come along when I was depressed and to just wave a magic wand and um you know, it was kind of a long journey, but that's that's got me to where I've got. And I think sometimes that's the thing we think with a purpose, that it's kind of like something you can take off a shelf. But maybe sometimes the journey is part of the purpose as well, if that makes sense. You know, it's, it's all the things we pick up along the way. Yeah, I... Yeah, I think um, what happened here was that the universe gave you the baby steps, showing you all these different angles as a preparation towards the big day, the day that you reborn to be the artistic and accept fully. So you had to do this, all this digging, all this work within yourself not even knowing oh, that, that it was yes, a preparation right. towards the I big day that was about to really reveal was. itself. You know, that's absolutely right. And, and you know, you, you just don't know sometimes where the, where the, you know, thinking about that analogy about walking down a beautiful forest, you know, you have to lift up a lot of rocks sometimes, and but you just never know where you're going to find that hidden gem or that amazing little flower under that rock. You know, you have to just try lots of different things. Sometimes the magic comes in the places that you're not looking for it or that you don't expect it to be. And, uh, Ali, is there a special message you would like to share with our listeners? Who says that the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step? And I think that's just such a great, a great thing. You know, if you haven't started yet, take the first step do something today that will change if you want a change in your life take the first step so if you want to you know release some weight or be fitter go and walk around the block if you already walk around the block go and walk around two blocks if you want to you know have more creativity in your life pick up the pen and start and sketch tonight when you're watching tv just take those single steps, step after step after step. And, you know, what I've learned is the journey of a thousand miles, I'm still on it. You know, you don't want to get to the end. We want to keep learning. We still want the challenges and the adventures and the, the beauty. But it is a journey. It is a journey rather than a destination. So just keep taking those steps. Just keep taking those steps. Ali, I would like to thank you for sharing your inspirational story with us today. And for all the listeners out there, a big thank you. And keep tuning in for our next episode. Namaste.